Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Today starts Earth Care Week, which um, is now in its third uh, year, and uh, communities, Dharma communities from um, all over the world are uh, devoting uh, time to exploring Dharma practice and caring for the earth. And this is a pretty good week to start Earth Care Week. Um, You probably have seen a few of these events uh, that have occurred in the last couple of weeks, Uh, but I wanted to uh, just share with you a number. I think I sent an email out to the uh, to people who are on the e-group about this. A number of uh, quite significant events that have all been happening seeming at the same time as sometimes it works out. These events in the last two weeks. One, as you probably saw, unless you were not looking at any news in the last couple of weeks on retreat, Pope Francis came uh, and gave two very uh, powerful speeches, uh, one to the uh, U.S. Congress and one even more um, forceful uh, to the U.N. General Assembly Uh, talking about our responsibility, our moral responsibility to care for the earth and be as conscious as we can uh, about uh, seeing that its gifts are, uh, as he holds it, um, God's gifts to us that we need to respect and honor and treat as as gratefully and gracefully as we can, with as much commitment as we can. And he also, in his speeches, spoke about the um, various repercussions that that affect particularly uh, those that are uh, less, um, less fortunate in their circumstances that the inequity, the um, um, lifestyle inequity uh, favors those who are privileged and is born uh, on the, the backs of uh, the, less, um, the less fortunate in their physical circumstances. Um, and that was significant, huge. And there he is, the leader of 1.2 billion Catholics. But as he said, he's, he's not speaking as a Catholic. He's speaking to uh, everyone on this planet. It was very inspiring. Same week, uh, 
President Obama and Chinese President uh, Xi Jinping met to discuss uh, substantive substantive, uh, plans around climate change. And uh, China uh, deepened its commitment to a cap-and-trade carbon plan that would not pass in current U.S. Congress. No way would what they've committed to pass, right now, anyway. Uh, And this is all in anticipation of the major um, landmark talks that are going to be happening in Paris this December. But there they were, the two leaders of the two uh, most powerful countries on the planet talking about their mutual commitment to uh, being more conscious and to uh, doing something about climate change. Who would have thunk that five years ago, or certainly ten years ago? Third, maybe you didn't see this, but um, maybe you did. Shell announced that it would uh, give up its Arctic drilling plans. After uh, how many emails might have you gotten about uh, stop the Arctic drilling? And just like that, after investing $7 billion, they said, okay, we give up. And partly they gave up because they weren't getting the returns for their money. Uh, but, um, but they were also... Uh, their image was really suffering through the Arctic drilling. And many people uh, have said that that was no small part of this decision. Greenpeace hailed it as a a victory, as did many environmental groups. Uh, A fourth, on uh, Monday... Six of uh, the largest financial institutions in the U.S., including the four largest U.S. banks, uh, Bank of America, uh, Wells Fargo, uh, I think J.P. Morgan Chase, and uh, who, Citibank, yes, along with Goldman Sachs, and uh, I forget the, the sixth, um, Pledge to cooperate in efforts to accelerate investments in renewable energy. They're starting to see, hmm, maybe this is a good thing and this is the direction in the future. Six of the largest institutions, the four largest U.S. banks saying, okay, we want to invest in renewable energy. Um, just came out recently um, that the divestment movement, uh, which universities and um, uh, pension funds and uh, now even cities, including New York City, um, are, uh, I don't know if New York, if it's a done deal yet, but that's the, uh, what the mayor of New York has in mind. But um, the divestment from fossil fuels 
and remember what divestment did in apartheid 25 years ago, uh, that was the probably the mo- one of the most significant um, shifts uh, that w- that brought about the downfall of apartheid in South Af- Africa. The divestment movement, um, the amount of money the world has pledged to divest from fossil fuels now exceeds $2.6 trillion. A year ago, that was, the number was $52 billion. So it's 50 times higher than just one year ago. Just let that sink in. 50 times more money pledged to divest away from fossil fuels. 2.6 trillion. That's, that's, that's a, more than pocket change. Huh? That's a lot of money. And as there's a, a kind of uh, momentum, it, it just gathers more speed. Oh, this is the thing to do. Um, the Huffington Post lead story on Sunday was the week the climate conversation changed. And they were saying this is the, the watershed moment where uh, because of all of these things uh, happening, particularly at the same time, there's this a feeling that... Um, a momentum has started gathering. Perhaps, you know, one, one hopes, you know, the concept of the tipping point where it's no longer, uh, the conventional wisdom or the paradigm has, is ch- in the process of changing. And then another um, article which I almost missed, uh, earlier this month, it was about two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago, 10 House Republicans broke ranks in a mini-rebellion over climate change. That's pretty cool, huh? And we're not going to get into politics here, I know, but when when Republicans, uh, Republican legislators start saying, okay, uh, I have to vote with my conscience uh, instead of party line. That's pretty big. And by the way, on the uh, in the Dharma scene, uh, perhaps some of you are participating in this. There is right now a current Ekosatva training, uh, which is unfortunately closed for registration. Uh, but 600 people and 40 different groups around the world are participating in this training that Joanna Macy and uh, Tanisara and uh, um, Ruth King and Tara Brock and uh, Angel Kyoto Williams and m- many wonderful teachers are offering teachings about Dharma practice and climate change. Anybody who's taking, uh, taking that? It's a few. Yeah, myself too. Oh, and that reminds me, by the way, if you're interested, although the, that 
training, online training is closed. If you'd like, there's a, a group um, that's meeting on Tuesday evenings uh, at um, Ashtanga Yoga that I'm a part of too, um, that Aaron Selliver is, uh, is leading, uh, just exploring these teachings from 7.30 to, um, to 9 uh, at Ashtanga Yoga. If you're interested, you can... Uh, it's on the website too, Insight Berkeley website. So um, I thought I'd start out with that good news. Isn't it nice to have some good news around climate change and caring for the earth? Just before we go on, let's all just celebrate that. And maybe um, hold in our hearts, if this is something that is of concern to you, uh, that vision that it will continue to move in this direction. This is a a quote from uh, John Seed that uh, I really love. He's one of the really inspiring environmentalists, um, deep ecologist. Uh, He teaches a lot with with Joanna Macy. Um, I think he's from Australia. He he said this a number of years ago. Um, In the end, this is about 20 years ago, actually, He said, in the end, perhaps nothing but a miracle would be of any use at this time. When you look at the rate of destruction, whether it's of the rainforest or the ozone layer, which now is starting to, has has changed, the climate and all of these things that are happening. And if you were able to multiply all the efforts by conservation, of conservationists by a factor of 10 or even 100, it might still not be enough. So you might think, there's nothing on the horizon that could help us. And then you think, well, what kind of a miracle would it take for things to be different? Well, it would be a very simple one, really. All that would be needed would be for human beings to wake up one day different than they were the day before, realizing that this is the end unless we make these changes, and then deciding to make the change. That doesn't seem like a very likely thing to happen, but on the other hand, the whole road that we've traveled is so littered with miracles that it's only our strange kind of modern psyche that refuses to see it. I mean, the miracle of being descended from a fish that chose to leave the water to walk on land, well, with a pedigree like that, anything is possible. (laughs) 
uh, a few a couple of months ago I, uh, I was we were talking about this and uh, about how change is possible and looking at all the the movements that have happened and uh, great shifts happening in very short amounts of time you know, not that they are complete but that just the 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 consciousness of the culture changed. You know, Martin Luther King has this beautiful quote that maybe you've heard. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Things might take a long time, but in a moment, that tipping point can be reached. And civil rights... All of his work is uh, an example of that, of course, although there's still plenty of work to do, obviously. Or the women's movement reached a, a shift in 70s, 80s or so, although there's still plenty of work to do. I was thinking about cigarette smoking tobacco when i was when i was growing up if you didn't smoke you weren't cool and if you didn't smoke cools then <laughs> you weren't cool i mean think about it now it's not so cool at least in certain circles now you have to you know find at spirit rock there's a smoking hut that's the one place besides your car that you can smoke in. And the same with public buildings. You know, even, even uh, I, I, I don't know about bars. Can you smoke in, in bars? You can't smoke in bars. I don't go to bars very much. But that's good. You can't even smoke in bars. Think of all the Humphrey Bogart movies and, and movies from the, you know, I mean, I, even just the word bar, and, I, and I, my mind has in, images of cigarette smoke wafting through. It's not done now. And that's a pretty powerful industry. And of course, look in the last couple of years, same-sex marriage, even in this, just this year, gone although there's still work to do, but the conventional wisdom have ch has changed. Same with domestic violence. It's, although there's still plenty of work to do, it's not okay anymore. So, um, here we are, at this point, at this very fascinating point in our species unfolding, as I've often quoted my friend uh, Roger Walsh uh, saying, we're in a race between fear and consciousness. And here we are at this point where we could be part of something, we are part of something potentially quite extraordinary, the opportunity 
to really make a difference in the direction that the human species is going. You know, I, I, I thought about it. You know, the, all the classical action movies where the hero or the heroine, it's up to the hero or the heroine to save the planet. You know, whether it's I don't know, the Hunger Games or whatever the... I, I don't see those. I did see Hunger Games one, but I don't see most of those. But the action pack where it's up to this guy or this woman to save the world. And you say, yeah, right. We're all part of that movie. We're all in that script and we're all potentially the heroes and heroines. Isn't that amazing? Because what it takes, as John Seed says is enough people to just wake up and then change happens. And with all of those other movements, as we well know, there's a lot of work to be done. This is just the beginning, but to get a little bit of inspiration and and hope, it uh, gives one energy and to see that change is possible. We have a choice in every moment how we relate to our situation. I was talking to um, uh, a good friend, um, a woman named Gaia up in, uh, up in Canada. Hi, Gaia, if you're listening to this. She listens to the talks sometimes. And uh, she was talking about how a couple of, uh, a week or so ago, she was in a restaurant with some friends. There were seven of them, and they ordered food, and the waitress woke up on the wrong side of the bed and was having a very cranky day and was trying to hurry everybody along. And there was some uh, complication around the bill, which she just put down for everybody rather than dividing it up. And my friend went to pay her part separately for the bill because she wanted to go. Uh, And the waitress was kind of scowling at her. And Gaia at first was scowling back. And they were kind of having a stare down. And she said, all of a sudden, my practice just kind of popped up unexpectedly. And she said to this waitress, what are we doing? We don't have to do this. And it was like she broke the spell and the waitress said, yeah, we don't have to do this. (laughs) And in a moment it changed from scowling and adversary and who's going to stare down who stronger to, oh, we don't have to do this. And they ended up having this really warm conversation, exchanging contact information, and they're going to be friends. And it just was such a, 
a, a, a small but powerful example that in a moment the mind can change. All it takes is just a change of perspective and one heart can meet another. I was with uh, Ramdas recently. I just actually came back from spending some time uh, with him in, in Hawaii. And Ramdas, who, as you know, if you've been around uh, me before, is, is really one of my mentors and inspirations, wrote Be Here Now, a book that changed my life and many people's lives. And, um, uh, and he had a stroke about 20 years ago, 18 years ago, that um, his speech is, is halting. And, uh, but he can, he's very clear and is right there for you. But he was having a really, he had just gotten over um, a bad infection and he was in the hospital for a couple of weeks just before we got there. Uh, and we, Jane and I were spending a little bit of time with him, about five days with him. And um, so his speech was even slower uh, and, and he didn't have much energy, although he, he spent time, but as far as, it was more of an effort to, um, uh, to communicate on his end. But it was amazing, because he's just more and more a being of light, uh, getting lighter and lighter. And my, the transmission that I got, uh, which has stayed with me, as we were sorting out how humans can get into reaction and how I could get into reaction and, and Jane can and, and uh, all of these, these ways that we get into trouble for ourselves. And he just went like this. From here to here. And he, would, he did that a few times. Just from here right to here, here to here. And I, I did this myself. Just try it right now. Go from your head, all your thoughts, all your reactions, all of your mm, agitations, and knowing that you're right, and ways that you feel disconnected from others, to here. Oh, I see you. Oh, you're a Buddha too. Just try this now a few times. From here to here. From here to here. One more time. From here to here. Because that's basically the secret journey. Going from all the ways that we know we're right, get frustrated, get outraged, and of course, outrage and frustration is completely, not only legitimate, but... um, um, but human and uh, important, but to go underneath the outrage and the frustration to the place of love and caring. That's where the outrage and the frustration comes from. Oh, 
I care. That's why it hurts so much. This is the magical journey. And when we have the idea, why don't they get it? Have you ever had that thought? You know, Why don't they get it? How can they not see the truth? Just come back to your own ways that you don't get it. I was listening to Joseph Goldstein uh, a, a talk today uh, talking about uh, attachment to views and when you get really frustrated that somebody is so attached to their views, whether it's about climate change or uh, some, uh, some view that might seem narrow-minded to you. He said, the Buddha said, the cause of all of our suffering is attachment to the view of who we think we are and our separateness. And he said, you know, people have been practicing for years, even decades, know that that's so, very clear, oh, this is the cause of my suffering. And yet, it's a very hard view to break. So, there's a kind of humility that comes when you say, Why don't they let go of their view, their attachment to their view? And a lot of people just don't have the information and haven't connected the dots. And that's their genuine view. Or their genuine view of, oh, this is a world in which everybody just uh, gets what they can. That's that's the way it's supposed to be. And that's their narrow narrow short-sighted view. But here we are, unless we're fully cooked, attached to our view of self, even though we know better. Okay, so now it's one thing to let go of our attachment and it's, and it's one thing to get inspired by all the wonderful things that are happening, but you know we can't be too pie in the sky about this. And there's an awful lot of frustration and sorrow that we need to deal with. So, how to hold all of the pain? How to hold that caring so that it doesn't break our heart? So that we can uh, be in the movie and be uh, part of the heroic effort. Because it's so, you know, when people hear, oh, we're going to talk about uh, climate change, sometimes they run for the hills. Not because they don't care, but because there's a a feeling of, well, what can I do about it? You know, this is too big for me. You know, maybe after this week, something might might, might change along those lines. But... Many times, the despair and the enormity of the situation seems so huge that we shrug our shoulders and say, gosh, 
I hope things work out, but I have no idea what to do. How many people have had that thought? And it's an important one to honor and acknowledge. And so I want to talk a little bit about equanimity in holding our deep caring, if you have deep caring, or nurturing that uh, whatever level of caring you do have. First, something that um, that I've found helpful is the the basic uh, notion that's in the Bhagavad Gita that you do what you do with as much mm, effort and care and consideration, but you're not attached to the um, to the outcome. This is from Thomas Merton who says that an activist has to come to terms with the fact that what is done may ultimately be fruitless, but that you're not doing it solely for the hope of results. He says that as you get used to this idea, you start more and more to concentrate on the value, the rightness the truth of what you do just for itself. And in the the Talmud, there's a, a story that says, if the world were ending and you knew that nothing would make a difference, you'd still do what's most aligned with the heart's deepest values. So it's not so much, oh, well, will this count? Will this matter? Who knows? But it doesn't, it can't hurt. And it certainly gets you more aligned with your caring. And as um, Angelus Arian says, uh, action absorbs anxiety. That when you put yourself in motion, aligned with your values, you're discharging some of that frustration. This is uh, Joanna Macy from her book, Active Hope, a wonderful book. By the way, she's giving the talk uh, on Monday at Spirit Rock as part of the Earth Care um, uh, proceedings. She and Deborah Chamberlain Taylor. This is how she defines active hope, name of her book. Identifying the outcomes we hope for and then playing our part in bringing them about. Focus on what we deeply long for and then proceed to take determined steps in that direction and becoming an active participant in bringing about what we hope for. So it's not hope, oh, I hope everything works out. It's just putting your love and your caring in the right direction and letting go of what it's going to look like. Who knows? You know, I quoted the Dalai Lama a couple of weeks ago saying, world systems come and go in the bigger picture. But at least if you know you've done your part, 
you can feel good within yourself about it. Joanna, in Active Hope, she talks about um, gratitude. There's a spiral for Active Hope. First, there's gratitude for how beautiful this world is and all the blessings in the world. And then there's honoring our pain to not pretend. Then there's seeing with new eyes, that is, having a vision of the possibility, and then going forth. And you have to honor your pain. So, honoring the pain, which is really what equanimity is about. Equanimity is what holds our deep caring. And the the image that I find really um, important, uh, the archetype of holding our pain with, with balance and wisdom and inspiration is of uh, Kuan Yin and in her relaxed or royal repose. You probably have seen the, the incredibly beautiful statue that's uh, in, uh, I think, Kansas City. Oh, do we have it? No, there's, uh, there's one particular, a Kuan Yin. Yeah, it's not, not that one, but there's a statue of Kuan Yin with her arm outstretched. And there she is, Kuan Yin, if you're not familiar with, the, uh, with her, is the embodiment of compassion. Um, and there she is seeing all the pain and all the sorrow and all the suffering in the world. And there she is in her relaxed repose. And she sees all the sorrow and she feels with unbearable compassion. And there is a centeredness and a strength that knows the truth and wisdom can hold it all, can hold the breaking heart, can hold the frustration, can hold all the outrage, and allows us to come from love. And the more we can do that, the more we can have our efforts come from love, the more inspiring it is for others. You know, just as when you heard those those different events, did you get energized? Yeah, we can be inspired around climate change. Try that one on for size. And we can be inspired by all the good that is happening and be part of that. And then anything that you do, and the key is to do something, even if it's just checking out how, what your carbon footprint is in your house or seeing if 
something like solar is for you, or turning out the light, let alone joining, working with others. Anytime you do something that is beneficial to the planet, do it as a metta practice. Do it as a loving kindness practice. Instead of, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to do. You know, okay, I'm being a good, good boy now, good girl now. Rather do it, oh, I'm doing this because I care about the earth. I'm doing this because I love this planet. And then every time you do it is, is a practice of loving kindness. And as you do it more and more, you are both cultivating your loving kindness practice and being an agent of that caring for the planet. And waking up, like John Seed says, to more and more express your caring. Because that has its own beneficial effects. It's like, as I've used this phrase, a contagion of goodness, where it's catchy, particularly as momentum grows. So um, I think, we have a bit of time, I think before uh, we open up to questions or discussion, uh, just for a moment, like you to reflect inside and making it relevant to your own life, your own practice, get in touch with either what you are doing or what you might do as a kind of Metta practice for the earth. And if you are doing perhaps many, many things, um, let yourself be inspired by how your caring heart is expressing itself. Don't miss it. Don't just say, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. Let yourself the light in your caring. And if you're not, uh, don't feel guilty. That doesn't help anything. Just see how could your practice, your Dharma practice, include metta for the planet? How can you include holding this issue and this caring for the earth on this Earth Care Week, how could it include in a very um, real way actively expressing your appreciation and love for the planet?
Okay, and now I think uh, before we have an open discussion, uh, just turn to one or two people near you and, uh, oh, for the next five minutes or so, uh, just uh, listen to each other. Uh, And if you're not, if you don't have anything brilliant to report, that's okay. You can be inspired by them and uh, share maybe how your own practice can be um, can be including this as well. So just for a few minutes, and then we'll come back. Okay. And you can just join anyone. Uh, it can be one or two others. Yeah, just sit down next to say hi, introduce yourself. felt good, at least on, on this end. Um, and that's another thing. It's good to connect, you know, when you don't feel so alone. Um, it's much easier to, uh, to hold the difficult. <clears throat> and there's these uh, studies that have shown when people hold hands, their threshold for physical pain and emotional pain is much higher. That's what it takes. Um, so we just have a few moments left. Um, any comment that uh, came up from that that uh, uh, you'd like to share? Insight? Yeah. Okay, put it right next to your mouth. Okay. Um, The story I shared is not my story. It's the story of my 13-year-old niece, who's now in her early 20s. Mm. When she was 13, this is sort of for you. Um, When she was 13, she watched Al Gore's film, Mm. An Inconvenient Truth. Mm. And at the end of the film, there's a list of things you can do to help save the planet, one of which is plant a tree. And Laura, being an ambitious young woman, said, well, I could plant a tree, or I could plant a million trees. And last August 16th, they planted the millionth tree in Woodside. Wow. And the way Carrie asked, well, how how on earth did a 13-year-old manage to plant a million trees? And they're well on their way to the second million. Um, she was in the 4-H club, and her father helped her organize all of the 4-H clubs in this country who partnered with the Arbor Day Foundation 
who, who for $12 would send each club 12 trees that were climactically suited to that region. And all, all these kids were planting trees all over the country. And then it went beyond the boundaries of this country, and a group of young people in Kenya got wind of this, and they, they cut down trees in Africa for cooking fuel. And so there's a great need for reforestation, mm-hmm. and that's going on there too. Mm-hmm. So all of this says to me that we may all be simple little people, but one person can make a huge impact. Mm-hmm. And you know, I bless us all that in some way we can draw inspiration from this and plant a tree. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And what's her name? Um, for those of you who would like more information, her name is Laura Weber, and you can go to the website 4hmilliontrees.org mm-hmm. and plant a tree. Mm. Thank, Thank Laura for us. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, well, on that note, uh, let's, let's end. And uh, as we get in touch with our care for ourselves, get in touch with our care for each other, and ultimately our care and appreciation and love for this earth. May the earth feel our collective gratitude and love and care and wisdom. And may uh, we be part of a movie going in the right direction. And have our skills and caring used well to make a difference. May all benefit from our coming here together. May all beings be happy and peaceful. May the earth be happy and peaceful. Thank you very much. Have a great week. Uh, And I forgot to mention uh, in the announcements that the next two weeks, Kate Munding is going to be giving the talks here. So, see you in a couple of weeks. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.